0: Look, I know many of you like to keep informed about the world, but if you're like me, sometimes the sheer amount of information just overwhelms. You may yearn for someone to simplify, which is what we try to do here, or even to have a bit of a laugh about all this serious business. Well, John Fowler is a former Australian diplomat and international lawyer who set out to tackle just this. Two years ago, in a gloomy London winter, he texted an old friend and asked if she wanted to drag geopolitics kicking and screaming into the 21st century and spoiler alert she said yes john is now the co-founder of international intrigue it's a newsletter that makes that mixes geopolitical briefings with jokes memes and plenty of insights john fowler hello hi there it's uh, it's delightful to be here i'm thrilled to have a chat i'm sort of envious of this i think this is a wonderful venture you know what was the turning point for you in deciding to do it I don't think there was any one turning point. I think I think
1: it was um, an addition of things. One was I, I was in London uh, studying for a, a Masters of Business Administration and sort of looked around the the media environment and didn't see anything uh, in this space that kind of really stood out to to me or my colleagues. So there was a a need for this kind of you know geopolitical kind of analysis. The second thing is I think I've always been very passionate about global affairs and communicating those things kind of easily and simply. And so, you know, in the lockdown, because obviously London was was in mm. deep lockdown in the middle of 2020, I started writing and uh, it kind of snowballed. You know, you mentioned the the texting my friend Helen, my co-founder. And that really, at that point, it really was a situation where we were kind of like, well, I'm in lockdown. We've always thought about, writing a blog or, you know, a newsletter, just more for us and and for our friends than anyone else. To you know, they say writing is is the best way to figure out what you think about things. Mm. Um, So I I ran out of excuses in in my apartment to not do it, I think is the start of it.
0: (laughs) And now this side hustle has become a full-time venture.
1: That's right. Uh, I think it immediately resonated with enough people for us to go, huh, maybe there's there's something here, and and, and and to think a bit more seriously about what it could become. At the start, we were only doing it every week, um, and it was very sort of personal. It was our reflections. It was our kind of experience. We went away and thought about what a business would, would look like and came back with something sort of resembling what we're doing now.
0: Well, I'm, I'm going to come back to that, but so so how uh, to get into the weeds, how many subscribers do you have?
1: Yeah. Uh, we're about twelve thousand now, a bit over twelve thousand. Oh, wow. um, yeah, for our daily briefing. So we've 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 hired a, a writer um, who is in London, and she kind of writes a first sort of cut of things that we think might be interesting, and then Helen and I edit it every day and kind of punch it up into into what you see uh, in the in, in the inbox. But it, yeah, it's a, it's it's a lot of work, particularly when you're trying to build a business around it at the same time, right? Like you're doing you know, more than half your day on content. And then the rest of your day is meetings and trying to raise money and doing all the other things you've got to do in business.
0: Are you paying yourself a salary yet?
1: Not yet, but that is, fingers (laughs) crossed, that is uh, within the next couple of weeks, fingers crossed.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Very good to hear. Was there a gap in the market, do you think? I mean, because there are like quite a lot of very good podcasts around about this now, for instance. Uh, There are newsletters, though they're often slightly clinical. Well, you you put your finger
1: on it there, Geraldine. I think that they tend to be a little bit clinical, um, a little bit by the foreign policy geopolit- uh, geopolitics community for the geopolitics community. And I, I sort of alluded to it at the start where I said I was sitting in London with, with my MBA colleagues, you know, some of the smartest folks I've, I've met, but going into consulting, banking, um, you know, other kinds of business and didn't necessarily have a background in geopolitics. Nothing resonated with them to say, hey, how do I get across these issues without needing to have a degree in IR or a masters in in international politics what what does this jargon mean what does that like why should i care about all this and obviously you know we're setting, we're sitting sort of in 2022 and i think 3 or 4 years ago this might be a very different conversation but we've seen newsletters successfully um, engage younger audiences on topics that are, you know, maybe perhaps a little bit more traditionally clinical, as you said. So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of Morning Brew being the American uber successful newsletter that did that for finance news. So it's this idea of translating what I think can be a little bit archaic, I think unnecessarily archaic, a little bit technical. And we started with the the, the mission of making it enjoyable to read, waking up and not Mm -hmm. going, oh, gosh, I've got to I've got to read my briefing this morning, but waking up and going, oh, I'm looking forward to, you know, a a joke and learning something and, you know, five minutes well spent of my day.
0: Who, Who typically are your readers?
1: Well, we have a mix. So I would say the typical reader is somewhere between their late 20s and, and, and late 30s. They're a, a, maybe a professional in a consulting firm or a lawyer or, um, you know, generally kind of professional services, that kind of stuff. Well, they're not all um, foreign
0: affairs wonks?
1: No. They're, they're, I mean, we've, we've got a fair few of those, but I think it's probably a little bit too simplistic. If, if you live and breathe... You know, China policy. Well, mm-hmm. the, what we're covering, you already know it. Um, you might find it a, a nice summary um, and you might find it more engaging than some of the other things, but there's nothing, you know, that you, we're going to teach you. It's it's more designed for folks who work in globally exposed industries and need to know about what's going on, but don't have the time, as I said before, to dedicate, you know, hours and hours and hours of, of thinking and, and reading mm-hmm. to that. And we, and we actually have a lot of, I would say, readers in, a, in their 50s and 60s, too, who, who say, oh, yeah, I've been an economist reader for decades, but I really enjoy the kind of fresh takes and the fact that you guys don't take yourselves so seriously as the economist, you know, with, with all their kind of very serious where, where, you know, from the 1850s and corn laws and that kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> what I have noticed is how you, say, cover a big news event uh, like Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, which you gave the tongue-in-cheek headline of Grandmother Nearly Causes World War III. But then you go on to explain, you know, what's happening in a place not covered by mainstream media. In In the same newsletter, for instance, about Pelosi, there were updates on Azerbaijan and India's battle against big tech. Now... Obviously, you're trying to move beyond the main news roundabout. are you? is is would that be fair to say?
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. I think we you know we we do a couple of things, we stay away from domestic politics as much as is humanly possible, and we try to find stories from places that people don't necessarily think about. And if not explain why they matter to, to you, at least put them in the context of, of what's going on. So the Azerbaijan story um, that you referenced there, we sort of tried to contextualize that in, with the, the Russia-Ukraine situation and, and the fact that Russia is, you know, a bit of a declining power in that region. And perhaps we can expect more of these kinds of conflicts to break out. So it's it's more about getting beyond the front page stories, but not making people feel board or questioning why it's relevant to them and just sort of say, hey, here's what happened. And, you know, now you know that. So file it away.
0: Now, of course, there've been calls for DFAT to do something like this for a while, to reach out to, to, to the digital world. I mean, that's been quite a sort of um, debate. I wonder if, in fact, this is achieving precisely that.
1: Well, I mean, that's, that would be, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> you know, I think, I mean, this is me speaking in my, very much in my personal capacity. I've got plenty of wonderful ex-colleagues there. I th- I've always thought that DFAT doesn't harness its talent um, to the full extent it could. And I think this kind of thing would be a really, really great thing for DFAT to do. And, and obviously they, they would be in a great position to be able to do it because they, this, we, we're really doing nothing more than, as diplomats we used to do, which is interpret what's going on somewhere else for an audience. So
0: In the public realm, which of course the diplomats don't, is this valuable to companies? Like you talked about the people who are subscribing, which is free thus far, isn't it? But in what way might it fill a gap for for companies that nothing else quite does?
1: The way we're thinking about that is there's plenty of desktop analysis uh, products from, you know, DC, London, Canberra, these kinds of things. You you know, you can hire a consultancy to do that. We we have this idea that perhaps we could reimagine what a foreign correspondent model looks like um, in the 21st century. So can we build a network of experts and writers and podcasters and short video makers from right around the world to, to sort of tell the stories and, and write the analysis from where it's happening. So if a company said, oh, well, we, we're opening a lithium mine in Chile, well, maybe you, you come into intrigue because we've got a couple of folks on the ground, locals on the ground in Chile who know what's what's going on and, and we can connect you or, or something like that. But the fundamental idea being, removing the layers between what's going on in a place and the people who need to know what's going on in that place, taking out, to the extent that's possible, the editors and and the desktop analysis in DC and all these kinds of things, and making that connection direct.
0: So, in other words, there's a value for, say, people in banking or engineering or consulting in knowing about geopolitics explained in more than an abstract way. That's really what you're saying. There's a real uh, value in it for them.
1: And I think particularly... From now into the future, I think we're sort of you know one of my grand ideas about the world is that the sort of relative 30 years of geopolitical predictability since the end of the Cold War is no more. I think that's pretty pretty clear uh, over the last couple of years that um, we're moving back into a world that is is multipolar that is is much less predictable um, you know American influence not is not declining in my view but is at least won't be as predictable. And a lot of, you know, if you're thinking it from a finance, a financial perspective, there'll be a lot of edge to be had in understanding how those dynamics play out. And if you're thinking about it from a, an industrial perspective, understanding how those dynamics are playing out could save you money, could, you know, help you mitigate risk. The, you know, the long story short is I don't think that many places in the next 20 to 30 years will be business as usual. Um, so, you know, people people have to know about this. In- information, at the end of the day, is 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 king.
0: Now. Are you seeking some form of funding so that you can set this up on a more permanent basis?
1: Yeah, so we're, we're in the middle or towards the end of raising a seed round at, at the moment. Um, we've got a lead investor who's come on board and, you know, is helping us uh, get the money that we need to sort of go out to to build this. So I think we're, you know, we're, we'll, we'll get where we need to get in, in fundraising, but we're in the middle of that process right now. And as you say, the idea is to be able to pay myself. <laughs>
0: Well, John, the very best of luck. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Geraldine. It's been a pleasure. And John Fowler is the co founder with Helen Zhang of the newsletter International Intrigue.